0: Church family, it's great to be together this morning to worship the Lord, to uh, observe uh, baptism together, and now we uh, go to God in His Word as we seek to uh, see what He has in store for us in it today. I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be in a smaller section of the Gospel of Mark this morning, just verses 35 through 41, what will likely be a familiar story to many, as you find your place uh, in your word this morning, uh, I want to draw your attention to something that's in the connector. You'll notice uh, that we exceeded our Pray, Send, Go offering for the last 12 months. We had set a goal for $60,000. We exceeded that by uh, a little over $1,000. And so thank you for your generous gifts over the last 12 months to the Pray, Send, Go missions offering that supports, as we observed last week on Pray, Send, Go Sunday, church plants. Church planters, missionaries, mission teams from our church. And so uh, thank you for generously giving to that. We've set a new goal of $65,000 for the next 12 months. And so if you pledged to give last week as a part of our Uh, mission sunday i encourage you to do that and if you didn't there are praise and go cards on the back table if you weren't here with us last week you could express interest in a mission team you could uh, also express your willingness to give towards that offering above your regular uh, tithes and offerings over the next 12 months as we seek to continue to praise and go together with the gospel of jesus christ into a needy world I invite you to stand with me now as we honor the reading of God's word. We're going to start in verse 35 of Mark chapter 4 and read through the end of the chapter this one account of Jesus calming a storm. Mark tells us that on that day, when evening had come, he, that's Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to gather as the body of believers that is Nansman River Baptist Church. It is with Thanksgiving and gratitude, God, that we gather together today. Thankful that you are our God, holy and righteous above all else. Thankful, God, for the sign of baptism in the life of Madison, professing publicly her faith in Jesus. For the truth of your word that speaks to our hearts. We pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would change us, because your Word is truth and is sharper than any two-edged sword. Cut us deeply today. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. It was not lost on me, by the way, as I was preparing this this week, that we were watching a literal storm. A a massive storm. It, it seemed that this was a very large hurricane, not only powerful and hit a very populated area down in Florida, causing uh, great damage on our Facebook page we put out a few days ago, uh, how you can support through Send Relief, uh, what will likely be thousands and thousands of Southern Baptists through disaster relief organizations and churches just like ours that will head to Florida and will clear houses and clear debris and feed people Uh, for weeks and probably months to come and so you could go to our Facebook page and see that there how you could give uh, towards that effort but as I'm preparing this sermon this week about a storm watching a storm and then uh, in a lesser way than they did in Florida we enduring the storm at the beginning of the weekend we so often mark time uh, by events like this Growing up in South Louisiana, like I did, there are there a couple of storms that had come through that part of the world that really were before and after events. When I was a teenager uh, in middle school, Hurricane Andrew came through. Remember Hurricane Andrew that did, had great damage in South Florida, and then it came through the Gulf, and we often mark time by, do you remember, did you live during Hurricane uh, Andrew? And then uh, after I had left Louisiana, Hurricane Katrina came through, causing so much Damage and destruction in uh, New Orleans, and I know still in South Louisiana, they mark time by, was it before or after Hurricane Katrina? Because it changed so much of the landscape, and Florida will do that now. With this storm, that uh, west coast of Florida will always be marked by the passing of this storm through that community and the effect that it had. Now, we are going to see in the text today a literal storm, this is an actual storm that came up in the life of Jesus and his disciples and what happened. But th- there's more to the story than just a physical, literal storm that came upon the Sea of Galilee. This instructs us about the storms of life. And your life, just like communities mark time by was something before or after a particular storm, your life is probably marked in this same way. Events like storms are instrumental in our lives. We often can't tell the story of our life without it. These are moments of sometimes great sorrow, stress, anxiety, despair, fear. In the life of Christian, hopefully, these moments in life are times of great faith and overcoming the pressures and the weights of this world by trusting in Jesus even in the midst of great storm in our lives we're not really defined by the good days of our lives we're defined by the storms by how we act in the midst of them, by the faith that we demonstrate as they rise up and we show that we trust in Jesus through them. This is the main idea of our sermon today, that followers of Jesus can trust him through any storm. That we, you and I, those who profess faith in Jesus, can trust him. He is worthy of trust. That's why we sang songs this morning about the holiness and righteousness of Jesus. It speaks to his trustworthiness in the midst of life's storms, as great as they may be, as difficult as it may seem, as as sometimes as if we will not make it through to the other side. Christian, here is what I want you to know and stand firm on today. You can trust Jesus. He is in the boat with you. This story, event that Mark tells us, is told in the other Synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story. They provide varying details, one of which we'll see from the other two synoptics because I think it helps us to paint the picture. But this is an important event in the development not only of Jesus' ministry but in the the lives of his disciples who what we will see in this event aren't quite there yet. (laughs) That Jesus is going to lead them into this storm to see what will happen. And truthfully, They, in many ways, fail the test. And so do we so often. (laughs) You, You may read this story and very much identify with the disciples today. And can I just offer to you, Christian, it's okay. It's okay. But know this. Hopefully by the end, what we will see is that Jesus is worthy of our trust. No matter what storms of life seem to be prevailing against us. First, we see in this text that Jesus often brings his followers into the storm. This isn't the only storm that the disciples find themselves in. This is not the time that Jesus walks on water or that Peter walks out there to them and sees the the waves and goes underneath. This is a different moment. And I have worded the first point of this uh, message intentionally. Jesus often, meaning not rarely, but often brings meaning he is actively and in control of it his followers into the storm if you're in one of life's storms today you did not end up there by accident Jesus is not surprised that you're there the Lord is not sitting on his throne wondering what will happen to you next he has brought you to that moment you're there at his invitation look at the text On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now let's just think for a moment about what we profess to be true about Jesus So it can influence what's happening in this story. We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. That that he is the son of God, eternal in his being, all knowing. And Jesus, after having taught with his disciples all day, says, let's get in the boat and cross over to the other side. The other side is the other side of the Sea of Galilee. I've talked about the Sea of Galilee already in sermons in Mark, not that large of a body of water, but at times could be treacherous. And this would be one of those times. Jesus knows full well what he is bringing his disciples into. For those that may not be super familiar with the Sea of Galilee, it is the, it is the lowest freshwater lake in the world, 700 feet below sea level. There are mountains to the east and to the west that rise up on the sides of the Sea of Galilee. Cold air will flow over those cold mountain peaks and and rush down into the lake where it will cause a sudden rise of warm, moist air that's sitting on the lake causing a wind storm. There's actually no talk here of rain. When we think of storms, we think of rain. Now, maybe there was some rain, but the the... Part of the storm that is in focus is, is the wind. This is actually a common occurrence on the Sea of Galilee, even still today. On my first trip to Israel several years ago, I, I actually asked our, our guide, I said, you know, tell me about this. I was curious. Uh, our trip this year that we went on, we actually got to experience a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Nothing quite like this, though. But we got to watch one blow up while we were, while we were on the boat. And I asked, he said, yeah, it's actually there are times tourists, other people will be on the beach of the Sea of Galilee and they won't know the warning signs and they'll ignore what pe- the warnings of other people and people will die, that waves will come in and crash into people and pull them out to sea. It, it, it's an actual thing that still happens today. Jesus is not caught unaware by this, even though what we're going to see in a moment is that he falls asleep. Notice from, from the text that the, the boat is filling up, this windstorm arises, the waves are breaking into the boat, the boat is already filling up, the disciples in great despair feel as if they were in danger because they are in a dangerous situation. It's going to seem in a moment as if Jesus is going to scold his disciples, but it is not because of the situation. Jesus is not making light of the wind that is pressing against the boat. He's not making light of the waves that are overlapping the boat. Jesus is going to challenge their faith in him, not their view of reality. And their view of reality is that this is a dangerous situation. Keep in mind, numerous of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. It's possible that this was one of their boats, And so here they are on this boat at night, the winds sweeping up the waves, the text telling us that the waves are filling the boat. This is a dangerous moment. But make no mistake, it is not a dangerous moment by accident. This is a test. Mark makes note for us in verse 35 that it happens on that day meaning on the same day that Jesus sits with his, the, the great crowd and then later just with his disciples and tells several parables about the kingdom of heaven and that he's talked to them about faith and he's talked to them about the seed that is the gospel and how it bears fruit and how it grows large in our lives and in the world. And it is on that same day that this event occurs. This is... A test of their faith, that Jesus is intentionally leading them into the storm. Decades later, one of the men on this boat would write to churches in what's present day Turkey. At that point, it was known as Asia Minor. And he would begin his letter in 1 Peter chapter 1 like this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by the who by God's power, being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter is building them up in their faith, saying, "God has got you. God is in control. God is the one who's birthed salvation in you." Notice what he says next: "In this." You rejoice though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Think about this Peter in this boat, maybe the loudest guy in this boat. Who had grown up on these fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee his whole life in this moment of panic as the waves crash in? A couple of decades later, we'll write to, the, the, write to churches and write to Christians and say, Not only has God got your salvation, but God's gonna test your faith. How can Peter write that? Because Jesus tested Peter's faith. Peter lived what he wrote firsthand, he was in this boat. He was in the storm. He was with Jesus when it seemed as if they were at their end. Hear me today, Christian. God is in control when you head into the storms of life. Why? Why would God do this? Why would Jesus lead his disciples into the sea knowing that a storm is going to come? Why would God lead you into a storm of life knowing that it's going to be a difficult period of time for you? You may ask that question, some of you, because I know what, I'm pastor, you I know what's happening in some of your lives. And some of you are sitting right here right now and this is a difficult moment for you. Because you woke up this morning going, God, why are you letting this happen? God, why are we going through this? It may have been even difficult for you to get dressed and come down here this morning because that "why" has weighed so heavy on you. Saying, why? Why? Why is the storm not giving up? Why is the storm still battering me and? And now I'm going to come and find out that God has taken me into the storm. Why would he do that? Because storms try us. Storms test us. Storms provide the fire that is needed to refine us into the image of Jesus. This is what storms do. Storms are a test for us. Now, Let's put this in the right context. This, it's not God up in heaven going, I'm going to see what he can handle today. I'm going to really throw something at her today to see if she'll be able to deal with it. No, this is this, we, we serve a loving and caring God. And he loves you. And he cares for you. He wants the best for you but here's what we need to understand as followers of Jesus Jesus wanting the best for us means that he wants for us to be like him this is what he wants that is the best for us don't don't assume that the world's understanding of what is best for us is what is actually best for us What's actually best for us is Christ-likeness. What's actually best for us is holiness. What's actually best for us is what God wants for us. And it is the storms of life that refine that in us. He leads us through them to strengthen that very faith so that even if we, as Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, are grieved by various trials but for a little while, the tested genuineness of our faith may result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. That he's with us. And he is making us into his image as we go through them, as he leads us into these storms. Number two, followers of Jesus should trust him in the midst of the storm. This is the simple message of. This last story in Mark chapter 4, that we should trust him. As, as, as the wind bears down and the waves crash over and we can't seem to see our hand in front of our face due to the darkness of the storm, we trust in Jesus. But notice where we find Jesus in verse 38. He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. That's where we find Jesus. In the stern, asleep on the cushion. Now, everybody's probably picturing different things. And I believe in God's grace to his people, uh, several decades ago, when the Sea of Galilee was at a low point, some guys were out there poking around in the mud and happened to find some boards. They began to excavate these boards, and it took a very long time for them to do so and to preserve them carefully. But what they found was a first century fishing boat. It's now on display on the Sea of Galilee in a museum. You can go see it. It is, it is without a doubt the kind of fishing boat that Jesus would have been on. It's not the fishing boat that Jesus would have been on, but it is the kind of fishing boat. So we can now get a really good picture. This boat would have been about 27 feet long. All right? Would have been about seven and a half feet wide. This is not a very big boat. I mean, it may be the size of this platform that I'm, that I'm standing. So about 10 steps across. In, in, when it's in fish, when it's being used for fishing, there'd only be about four people on it. Now, every one of those people had a job and they, they would be fishing. It could carry about 15 people though. That's why Jesus and the disciples, so there's 13 people on this boat. And at the bow and the stern, so at the front and the back, there would be a platform that was large enough to where a cushion could be placed underneath it. And someone could go in on those cushions and rest on each side of the boat. So maybe the fisherman would go in at the not high to the sun to escape the sun, but that's, that's the way these boats existed in the, in the first century. And Jesus, having taught all day, is tired because, again, fully God, yet fully human. He's tired, and he goes to the front of the boat, to the stern, we're told, goes underneath the deck, on the cushion, falls asleep. Now, before we move on to what happens with the disciples here, Let's just make note that we're getting to see both the divinity and the humanity of Jesus on full display in this brief story. He's asleep. He's also in the storm with them. This is why the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 4 could write, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every way respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus endured the storm. Tired. Having taught all day. Having preached maybe from that same boat, the crowd pressing in so much, Jesus would stand out on a boat so that the crowd would not overwhelm him. Then sitting down and having to explain the things that he taught to his disciples. It had been a long day. The man's fallen asleep. and Again, he's in the boat. They are with his disciples. And they awake him. And they say in Mark's account verse 30, at the end of verse 38, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now just quickly make note of what Luke writes and what Matthew writes in Luke 8:24 they say master master we are perishing in Matthew 8:25 they say save us lord we are perishing So do you notice the difference in in Mark's account they call him Teacher In Luke's account, they call him master. In Matthew's account, they call him Lord. In Mark's account, they ask a question. Do you not care that we are perishing? In Luke's account, they just make a definitive statement. We are perishing. The same in Matthew's account. You notice the differences here? Now, some may say, oh, I see the difference. That, that, this is how we know this isn't true. they no, no. There were 12 guys on the boat all in great panic. I would imagine that every one of these things is actually a direct quotation, just depends on who you're quoting. All of these guys in this moment are trying to rouse Jesus. All of these guys are making statements of declaration, imperatives, they're making requests of Jesus, please save us, we are dying. Teacher, master, Lord, save us. Us, they declare. So, Jesus asleep under the deck of the front of the boat on the cushion after a long day. Here are the wind and the waves crashing into the boat, and his disciples are in great panic. But at least they knew where to turn. If we're going to criticize anything of the disciples, which I think Jesus does, he asks them a critical question here in a moment. But nonetheless... at least turn to him now we don't know what they may have done before this we don't know how long maybe they had bailed water again these are fishermen they some of them are they may have relied on their own understanding of that great sea but nonetheless here finally they turn to Jesus and what does Jesus do in verse 39 he wakes up rebukes the wind and says to the sea peace be still and the wind listens It ceased And there was great calm on the sea. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What I want to do is take verse 39 and verse 41 and look at Jesus's action and their reaction before we take a look at Jesus's question in verse 40. Because Jesus' action offered proof of his divinity which is why they reacted in the way that they did. Jesus wakes up and is not in shock. He simply says to the waves and the wind, be still, and they listen to him, which is why they ask the question, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Why would the disciples ask that question? They've already seen Jesus do some really incredible things. They've already seen Jesus cast out demons. Heal paralytics, heal people with skin diseases. They've already seen Jesus challenge the religious authorities of the day. I mean, there are incredible things that Jesus has already done. But this, this is a whole other level for them. Why? Because they understood what the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, said about the ability to control the weather. So let's look at what may be one of the oldest, very likely, one of the oldest stories in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Job. The book of Job is certainly a story about a man who endured great storms in life. Some of them physical storms. Some of them not. He endured great blessing and great loss. And there comes a moment in Job's life where he's kind of having a little bit of a pity party because he doesn't have great friends and his friends are kind of encouraging him to do that. And God shows up to Job and for several chapters just kind of says, now listen here, Job, I'm going to ask you some questions. And one of them is is this. The Lord speaks to Job in in chapter 38. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it. And set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. The Lord's questioning of Job in this instance, like in the rest of those chapters, is to say, Job, think about who you're talking to for a moment. I'm the one who controls the sea. We go to the Psalter, the Psalm 65 We read, By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the earth and the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the end of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening shout for joy. Later in Psalm 89, Calming of the seas would be used as an intentional comparison to ask the question, who is like the Lord? The psalmist writes, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are? O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. So we should not be surprised by the disciples' question. When they ask, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Because here's what they know. Only God, only God can control the wind. Only God can control the waves. Only God has the power to calm the storms. Who then is this? He is Jesus, the son of the most high God fully God and fully man who hear me today Christian can calm every storm of life he's in this boat with you he's in this boat with his disciples but then he turns and asks them this question why are you so afraid have you still no faith why do we so often church family allow fear of the storm to overcome us Because the same reason the disciples did. (laughs) That their confidence and their assurance and their trust in Jesus wasn't as firm as it should have been in that moment. And so Jesus gently asks them, Why were you so afraid? Is your faith? Have you still no faith? Is your faith still not matured to this point? And he asks us that same question because they were in the boat with Jesus. There was no safer place for these men to be than in the boat with Jesus. And in the in the early church, post New Testament writing in the in the second and third century, it became very popular a very popular way of interpreting Scripture, which was known as uh, a way known as allegorizing, where you take everything in a story and make it symbolic for something. And they would often really kind of get off base with, with how far they would stretch these allegories. But a very common early church allegory in this story was to view the boat as the church and, and to emphasize the safety. That the disciples should have felt because not just they were in a boat, but because they were in the boat. And what made it the boat? It made it the boat because Jesus was in that boat. And here's what the early church fathers would say the church is the boat and it's there is no safer place for us to be not because the church is a boat but because the church is the boat because jesus is in the boat with us we have jesus in the boat with us we do not need to be afraid no matter what the wind and the waves do we can have faith because we are the church we are in the boat quickly before we make our point of application, we go back just to that very beginning in verse 35. On that day, Mark is making this connection from the teaching of Jesus to this event now. On that day where Jesus had taught to them about a mustard seed growing into this great plant in faith and and the seeds of the gospel falling on good soil and sprouting up, he says at the end of that parable in verse 20 of Mark chapter 4 but those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. What's Jesus looking for here? Jesus is looking for fruit in the storm and fruit in the storm looks to Jesus and says I am in the best place I can possibly be no matter what rages around me because I am in the boat with Jesus so what? In whom do I trust when my faith is tested by a storm? Do you look at your bank account? I think, oh, we got money to cover it. Do, do you look at your health insurance plan and say, oh, we got, we got good doctors that can fix it? Do you look at your degrees and think, oh, I've got the education to solve this problem? Do you have people that seem like they, can, they know how to kind of navigate life and do you call them in the midst of the storm and you say, hey, can you, can you help me out of this? Or do you look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who invites us into the boat and sails it into the night, knowing that the storm is coming and yet still says, why are you afraid? There are so many otherworldly things that people, yes, even Christians, put their faith in in the midst of the storm. But know this, those things fail us, but Jesus never will. Those things are limited, but Jesus is unlimited. Unlimited. Those things are temporal, but Jesus is eternal. When we are tested by the storm, the one place we should fix our eyes is to the one who brought us into the boat to begin with, Jesus. Do you look to Jesus who can rescue you from any storm? And even if it seems like he's not rescuing you in this moment, Because again, I know some of you are just in the midst of raging wind and waves. You feel like the boat is about to sink. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because regardless what happens in this life, there is great reward for those who keep their eyes on Jesus. When I preached this five years ago, six years ago, from the Gospel of Luke, I ended with Psalm 107, and I was intentionally trying to not make this sermon exactly like that sermon, very similar, and let's just be honest, the truth of the passage is the truth of the passage, and so it it is a very similar sermon, but I I thought of no better way to end this sermon than the same exact way I ended that one, because to be honest with you, I think Psalm 107 speaks the best to it, and Psalm 107 is a story, it's kind of a lengthy psalm, but it's a story of the redeemed and a picture of how God saves his people. It begins by calling the redeemed to say so, calls the redeemed to, to testify about how they have been redeemed. Then the psalmist writes several stories about people, some who are wandering in the desert, some who are in dark prison, some who have found themselves in affliction, and some who are out to sea. And listen to the story of the redeemed as pictured by those who are out to sea and just In your mind's eye, picture this 27-foot fishing boat filled with 12 men and Jesus as the storm rages. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy winds, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. "'Their courage melted away in their evil plight. "'They reeled and staggered like drunken men "'and were at their wits' end. "'Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, "'and he delivered them from their distress. "'He made the storm be still, "'and the waves of the sea were hushed. "'Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, "'and he brought them to their desired haven.' Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. (laughs) Hundreds of years before Jesus would physically do this, the psalmist writes for the people this Example, this illustration of God's redemptive work in our lives through picture in the sea. And then Jesus does exactly that. And then notice what the people are called to do. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Here's the invitation in the song. The invitation of the psalm is one to put your faith in Jesus, the one who can and does calm storms, the one who gets in the boat with us and rides through those storms with us saying, fix your eyes on me. And then it calls us to gather together as the redeemed of God and say, God has rescued me from God has rescued me from the storm, because no matter what storms we face in life, the greatest storm that we face is our own sin, the darkness of our hearts that separates us from God, and yet Jesus, just as he calmed the wind and the waves on that day, takes our sin on the cross and saves us from that great storm. And those who have been redeemed, those who have been saved from that great storm, are called then to gather with the congregation, to gather with the assembly. Both those, by the way, are the words for church in the New Testament. To gather with the church and to declare, I have been redeemed by a faithful God. So church. That is what we declare together today, whether your life right now seems like smooth sailing or the waves are crashing over and the boat is filling. Keep your eyes on Jesus, knowing, knowing that He has redeemed you. Now quickly, maybe somebody brought you in here today, you see. You've talked to Christians a whole lot. Well, I'm I'm not a Christian. Know this, my friend, the boat is filling fast for you. And there is no amount of bailing out water that will save your boat from sinking. But Jesus invites you into a different boat. <laughs> Jesus invites you into this boat. He invites you into the boat where he is, and if you will but join him. I cannot promise that life will be smooth sailing. I can actually promise you the opposite of that. But he will forgive you of your sins and redeem you. And you too can gather with the congregation of God and say he is faithful. And I trust him above all else. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. that You provide such a great hope that we can fix our eyes on Jesus no matter the storm that rages. No matter if we can see the storm on the horizon if the storm is in our midst right now or if the storm, the last storm, is in our rear view, we know that Jesus remains in the boat with us. We know that we fix our eyes on him. All will be well. Help us, oh God. Help us, we pray, to be men and women of faith, the congregation of God. Let us praise you in the storm, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Before we sing, I would just offer a brief invitation. If if that's you, the last group that I spoke to, and you you said, I want to put my faith in Jesus because I certainly know my my boat's feeling fast because of my sin. At the end of the service, I'll be in the lobby. Come and find me. Let's talk about how you can follow Jesus with your life. Church family, what we do now is we respond by worshiping the one who's our Savior in the midst of the storm you stand with me.